There is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using, you know, sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live, you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are, and you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of Forward Thinking Investors, I wanna dive into this world. I wanna help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build a billion dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to, to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. We talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Except for today. Today, we have an investor segment where we're talking to Tyler Tringas, who's the founder and GP of the Calm Company Fund. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Yeah, thanks. Things are good. You know, uh, appreciate you having me here. I- I'll take a little bit of umbrage with the uh, not being a founder, though. <laughs> um, I definitely consider, you know, what we're doing, uh, or I wear the founder hat quite a bit, um, building the Calm Company Fund. So I still feel like I have a lot of empathy for for folks in the building phase. But um, yeah, excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, excited to have you. You know, as you as I think you know, maybe it wasn't as clear like a few years ago, but it, it's been it's, it has been the truth. Like I've been a fan what you've been doing ever since you started, like your whole ethos is so needed. So let's start with kind of like high level. What is Calm Company Fund? What is your ethos? What do you stand for? Let's kind of start with like, you know, your stake in the ground. Then we kind of ex- explore and expand from there. Yeah. So the Calm Company Fund has a lot of similarities uh, in terms of like what it is to venture capital funds or private equity funds. We are you know, a pool of capital that we raise from uh, our investors. We make uh, relatively early stage investments in startups. You know, We don't buy the companies. It's, it's just like a growth round of capital. The founders stay in control. And then we provide a ton of community resources, mentorship, um, you know, the full gamut of, of stuff to help founders succeed. Um, where we're kind of different is sort of the who and what kind of company uh, we are building for. Um, and so it's a different audience, but a similar kind of product. Um, the gist is Calm Companies. We're, I'm a big fan of brands that you know say exactly what they do. Um, so we fund Calm Companies. And Calm Companies are, a lot of people find similarities for, to bootstrap companies, right? So these are companies that are growing at a sustainable pace. They are um, focused on being profitable. Uh, they have really positive unit economics early on. They're usually focused on sort of niche markets versus the venture strategy of focusing on $100 billion markets. Um, and it's just a different category of company that it turns out is, you know, a lot of companies <laughs> um, and, and we're building a product just for them, so. 
So I want to hear about your decision to do this because you didn't start this super recently. I mean, I guess, the, you know, that that's relative, but you, you've been doing this for a few years and this strategy was, um, well, tell me, what was it like when you started this and like, what was the reception of the current capital allocator crowd? And I guess the third question in there, trying to tie it all together is just like the origin story for Calm Company Fund. Like, 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 why did you start it? When did you start it? And like, what, what did that look like? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've been doing this for about three years or three years since we wrote our first check, like February 2019. Um, we launched obviously before that to, to raise the first fund, but not much longer than that. Um, and we've invested in about 70 companies in three years. So pretty good um, clip. Um, prior to that, I mean, why I started it was this is a real kind of like scratch your own itch kind of uh, product in the sense that, you know, I directly experienced both um, the fact that there is this, you know, non overlapping Venn diagram of great companies and companies that VCs and traditional venture capital funds can fund, right? There's a whole bunch of opportunities out there where you're like, this has a high probability of being worth 20, 50, $100 million versus a low probability of being worth $10 billion. And there really are not many funds, um, practically none, um, that are set up to, to fund those opportunities. At the same time, as things start becoming more and more software, tech enabled, all that kind of stuff, you can't access traditional debt either, right? You can't go get a small business loan if you're two people and two MacBooks. And that's like all the assets of the company. Um, so it was clear there was just like, this pretty wide gap in the market that I happen to have personally experienced. I, um, like I said, I, I sort of um, spent a bunch of time really early on in my career pitching uh, a ton of VCs for an opportunity and not really understanding this just a bit. I was, it was like a software product that, you know, it was, it was a calm company, right? We, we had a really high probability of building like a $50 million company. Uh, and I was pitching all these VCs and being like, I don't get it. Why, why won't these guys write me a check? So I had really like firsthand experience that, you know, they're just not interested in all good businesses. Um, and then the second piece, of it was then I later went and bootstrapped a B2B SaaS business, very niche. It never had any hope of raising any money from VC, so I didn't even bother. Just bootstrapped it from day one, uh, ran it for about five years, and then sold it to a private equity shop. And the tricky thing is that, you know, I ended up having about $100,000 in credit card debt to get that business off the ground, which really, really sucked. It was incredibly stressful. Uh, and yet had someone invested 100, 200K into that business at that phase, uh, it would have been a big win for them too, right? Uh, so the whole thing would have worked. And so I just kind of started, once I sold the business, sort of thinking about what's next, this problem kind of came to me, which is, why isn't there a fund for these kinds of companies? I know tons of people who are bootstrapping great software businesses and they all have the same complaints. They all need a lot of the same resources and nobody is building a fund for it. So we decided to see if we could. And, you know, you mentioned, and I appreciate your kind of your, your pushback on founder versus investor, because <laughs> you, you definitely you, you definitely are both when you're starting, you know, especially something like this off the ground. Because the truth is, you're, you're not just investing. And like, from my perspective, and I'm, I pay attention for sure. I'm not obviously inside the firm, but like, I pay attention from the outskirts and you're kind of doing a lot. You have a, you have a lot going on. Um, you know, it's not just, Hey, I like you, you like me, you know, here, here's a check, you know, build a company, like you're doing more. So if you can kind of outline what are all the elements 
of your of your firm. Um, and, um, you can just kind of go wherever you want with this, but like, yeah, what, what is, what is, you know, calm, uh, calm company fund kind of up to outside of just cutting checks? Yeah, it's fair. I mean, we've had to sort of rethink virtually every component of, of running a fund simply because, you know, most of the things that are set up to do stuff that kind of from a very far distance looks like what we're doing, which is raise capital from a bunch of LPs and then, you know, write sort of six figure checks into early stage startups. All of that is completely centered around the traditional venture capital model. And sometimes that doesn't work, right? So like case in point, one of the first things we had to do was design a new financing instrument because, you know, we're investing in a lot of companies where it may be they never raise another round of capital, they become profitable, maybe they're even throwing off pretty substantial dividends to, to the founders. And if we invest early stage on a convertible note or a safe, you know, those traditional quivers or, or arrows in the quiver uh, of VCs, we're going to be very unhappy, right? We're going to be misaligned. We're going to be doing what a lot of those investors do, which is, hey, you should reinvest this in growth. Don't like issue a dividend in part because we don't get a slice of it. Um, so we had to create something called the shared earnings agreement, um, which is, you know, basically it's just, it just has a profit share component and then incentives for, for making those profit share payments. Um, so it's a way to be aligned with that outcome, right? So we had to work backwards in a lot of different ways from, uh, you know, okay, does this actually work for what we're trying to do here versus being able to just kind of take everything off the shelf and start writing checks. Um, so we've done a lot of stuff as well around content and uh, we started doing some events, kind of having to replicate the whole ecosystem because you know, sometimes founders are building a business that's very niche. They're aligned with us. We invest. And then they're like, okay, well, I need to think about how to scale my engineering team. And then all of the content resources, everything out there is, you know, from the context of, oh, you just raised your $20 million series A. Here's how you scale your engineering team, right? There's not a lot of, of support infrastructure for how to scale it in a more capital efficient way. Um, and so we've had to do a lot of like that. So we just launched a big library with a ton of resources. We have like workshops almost every week, uh, for the portfolio. So yeah, just trying to do the, the full stack really. Um, so yeah. It appears to me from my perspective that there seems to be a new school of thought around company building that has always existed, but is now coming to the forefront, um, in the markets and, the uh, specifically in like funding companies uh, on, on the venture capital side and just like the like I guess the debt equity side, um, which I'm not saying that's you know, but just like that whole that whole world, that whole world, right? There is the people that are like, this is how it's worked for 40 years, you know, let's not change it because it works from their POV. But every you know, I feel like every few weeks I see a new kind of powerful person kind of like come up or someone that's rising to power come up and be like, actually, no, that's like not. That's uh, that's not how it works. Like one person that comes to mind, I'm not, you know, like uh, I'm not suggesting that these are amazing people or perfect people. What I'm suggesting is that they are coming of the same school of thought, which is like someone like Ryan Breslow or someone like Eric Reese or someone like you or someone like, you know, people that are like, is this working the way that it should be working in 2022 or should there be a change? And um, I'm curious for you, do you feel like, there is like the industry is starting to like shift a little bit to be more open to what you're doing 
or, or do you feel like there's starting to become like more people like almost on your side and you're not like, you know, maybe the only crazy fund manager three years ago starting a non-VC, VC fund, you know, like, do you, I don't even know what the question is, but you kind of understand what I'm getting at. Do you feel there's a shift in the markets and the powers that kind of lend to your favor and what you're trying to do here of calm companies? I think the window is opening. Um, you know, we are wrapping up a, a, a 13 year bull run right across basically all assets. And so you basically could do pretty much anything. And as long as you were investing in stuff, you you made money and you looked like a genius. Um, and so a lot of things became sort of accepted wisdom, I think in the last three to five years, just in the entire genre of how do you give capital to entrepreneurs um, that you know didn't make a lot of sense ever to me on its face, but a lot of people believe them, executed on them and made a ton of money, you know, because everything was just going up and to the right. So an example would be like, basically, I think it's like a couple years ago, Bill Gurley said, hey, when we look back at our portfolio, the entry valuation that we entered at at seed never mattered, right? The whole game was, did we get a grand slam or not? And everybody took that and ran with it and said, hey, entry valuations don't matter, right? Bill Gurley says so. <laughs> so let's just YOLO into stuff as, as hard as we can, and it'll all be fine because as long as we get grand slams. But if you actually think about that for about a minute, you say, okay, well, Bill Gurley's talking about his seed venture portfolio that's mature. So from like eight to 10 to 14 years ago, at that point, the, the variability was like, did we enter at a $3 million valuation for a seed round or five, right? And of course, okay, so that didn't matter, but that doesn't mean that there's literally no limit and you can do $100 million seed rounds, right? <laughs> like, and, and it just the valuation still doesn't matter. Of course, there's some upper limit to where that's gonna start to cut into your returns. And yet people who would tell you with a complete straight face <laughs> were like, valuations never matter, I only enter wherever I need to be. And those people made a bunch of money. And we're starting to see some of those consequences that are like, hey, actually, we maybe need to think a little harder about some of these things. Um, and so I think the window is opening as we start to finally have sort of consequences, right, for companies that raise way too much money at way massive valuations. Now they're going to shut down. Now their employees' equity is going to be worthless. You know, the funds are going to have write downs, all this kind of stuff. And I think that will open the window a bit to say, like, let's think a little more about exactly what we're trying to do here. Um, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, and I agree completely. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily the you know that obvious three years ago when you started though. And one of the great mentalities of being a founder is grit and resistance. And like, kind of, if you're doing something different, you got to get through the crowd that thinks that you're, you're full of it. And, and this is any great founder or any great VC deals with this. So my question for you is what can um, you share about when you started um, the Calm Company Fund, formerly called Earnest Capital, when you started Earnest, um, tell us about kind of having to deal with maybe non-believers, haters, like, because this is something that is applicable to any founder, big or small company doing something new. Um, so you kind of share your experience and maybe how you got through it to where you are now, which I think is a little more of a, a you know, accepted model than it used to be. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good question. You know, I think um, two things that come to mind about that period are the one is the power of just finding an audience and really listening to them and kind of tuning out everybody else. So I was really 
lucky before starting this firm in that I mentioned that I bootstrapped a SaaS business, but I also started blogging really actively and transparently right at the beginning of that process. And so through that, I met tons and tons of other people who successfully, but very quietly bootstrap software businesses, right? Running like 20 million ARR businesses that just throw off six, 7 million a year in dividends to them personally, they own hundred percent. I met a bunch of those people. I met a bunch of people who are like my peers building companies at the same time. And I met a bunch of like an, a massively larger group of people who aspired to do that sort of thing. And so I had this very like unique lens in, into the market that I think if you had spent the earlier part of your career in Silicon Valley and only working in, you know, accelerators and talking to VCs, you just didn't even know that that was out there because it's kind of, because no one's funding it, no one's tracking it. There weren't like, there wasn't a tech crunch for it. So it was just kind of like this hidden universe that I had this visibility into. And so a big part of it was just like, we always just listened to them. I would have these conversations say like, what do you want? What do you need? You know, and just build for them and kind of, you know, you don't really care what other people say. Um, the other piece of that, of course, is that, you know, this is not a permissionless product uh, launching a fund, right? There are some things where, you know, one person can just hack together the product and, and go. Um, you can't bootstrap a fund, uh, at least unless you have a massive exit yourself. Um, so we did need to convince uh, a decent number of folks to be investors in the fund. And that was probably the in part, like the uphill battle, um, you know, especially as you alluded to, like three years ago, this was not nearly as accepted as um, as a reasonable proposition. So we didn't really make much progress at all with the traditional capital allocators in the space. Um, so we did, you know, I got some advice early on. I can't remember who to credit this to, but it was like early stage fundraising is about finding your true believers, not converting non-believers, right? And so we really took that to heart and we said, okay, same deal. Who, who gets this intuitively? Well, it's these successful software entrepreneurs that have built these kinds of businesses that are like, yeah, I get it right away. Where do I invest? So we, we really reorientated our whole model around um, raising capital from them. So we launched a subscription fund. We have over 200 LPs. So we tried to make it like really accessible to, to entrepreneurs, not like ultra high net worth folks or institutionals. Um, and again, this was like similarly, just like finding your audience, finding your true believers and building for them. Um, and then just kind of, I don't know, plodding along and um, asking simple, dumb questions, right? Like, hey, is this true? Do we need to do that? You know, like, can we just not do that piece? Um, and just kind of following where that leads. And I have one question for, you know, I can speak for at least in my community and Seed Scouts community, I would say like a majority um, or like of a school of thought where like they, they have big visions, they see big problems, they want to solve these problems, they want the resources to solve them. Um, yeah. They are unsure what the capital the right capital path is to 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 accomplish that for for 10 for 12 years it seemed like really the only option was to raise vc and deal with the consequences of that you know going through the track right but now like you said there's a little bit of an opening you know a lot of the founders are wondering like what what are my best options to accomplish the vision on my terms and i'll be completely transparent i'm in the same boat like i i raised about 320k from angels um, you know, all of whom are fantastic. And I had this decision. I, mean, I got BC, I got there's like I could probably do whatever I wanted to at this point. And I'm just like, 
what do I, what should I do? Right. So it, it, for companies that are in that, that stage, how would you advise them to like, you know, you know, con- to reach their vision, but not, you know, accidentally screwed up by working with the wrong people with the wrong incentives, not saying that's all VCs because it's not all VCs. But like what do you, do you advise you know, people in this situation? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's still tough to speak really broadly because, you know, I mean, my perspective is that the market for calm companies is, you know, probably one or two orders of magnitude larger than the entire venture capital market, right? Almost by definition, right? Every good VC says like, hey, this is only useful for like 0.01% of of companies and the rest we're not, we're actually going to like not help your business, right? We're going to be the wrong fit, right? People talk about the the rocket fuel in a motorcycle kind of thing. I don't know about that analogy, but you know, it's basically right. Um, and so it's a huge, huge, vast amount of entrepreneurs and opportunities and companies out there. And right now, like the, the number of solutions are so tiny and so nascent that it really is still tough. You know, I mean, fundamentally, you're going to be doing a lot of stuff that looks similar to bootstrapping if you're going to go a route that doesn't involve venture capital which again would be almost all people almost all entrepreneurs almost all companies um and so this is part of what we hope to do is to kind of crack the stranglehold right of these ideas that like you you really do have a lot of people in the investing world going all the way up to like institutional allocators who manage billions of dollars who think like the literal only way i can be giving money to entrepreneurs at the early stage is this power law model where you know mostly everything fails but you have one 10 or 100 billion dollar outcome and that's where you make all your money they really think this is the only way and i hope that as we prove that hey like N equals more than one, that that also starts to really open the door to, you know, all kinds of variations on what we're doing, because there's, we see so many opportunities, like we're one fund, we're still tiny, I'm one GP, I can only fund stuff that's really in my circle of competence that I understand, you know, people come to me with really cool, calm D to C e-commerce opportunities. And I'm like, I just don't know enough about this space to really invest here. And, you know, eventually we'll have a GP focused on that, but like, it's slow going, you know? So um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that the piece of advice that I basically tell people to really pay attention to here is really think about optionality. The main thing that is the downside of taking, you know, let's say venture money is on the table for you. You have some VCs who are willing to give you a big slug of money at a high valuation. The main downside to that is this lack of optionality, right? You raise too much capital and then, you know, a couple of years later, you get an offer to sell the company for $40 million, but you raise 25 million with a pref overhang. And so you get nothing if you sell for $40 million, right? Or you give them board control, all that kind of stuff. So you want to be very careful with accepting things that start to close off different avenues and paths and options for you as you go and, and really maximize your optionality, right? And there's a, a wide variety of stuff that you can do there bootstrapping our fund, you can leverage like um, revenue based financing and debt and all kinds of stuff like that once you get to a certain phase, but it all kind of flows back to optionality. All right. And for my last question is, you know, you're you're building, you know, for my opinion, one of the first firms in this new this new world, I think it's going to be very, very big and powerful in, in 10 years, good power, though. So if a founder wanted to kind of learn about what you're doing, get involved, pitch you, just, you know, get up to speed. How, how can they do that? How can someone get in touch with kind of what you're doing here? 
Yeah, I mean, I post a ton of stuff on my Twitter, which is just at Tyler Tringus. And then uh, calmfun.com, C-A-L-M-fun.com is our main website. And we post, I've personally written probably 200,000 words that are on that website. Um, we're very sort of verbose about what we do, how we do it. There's plenty of ways for, for founders to dig in and, and understand that. And then if they want to pitch me, um, there's an application form uh, that we use and we try to create a really streamlined process. We don't need or really accept warm intros. So we just push everyone to say, tell us about your business and we'll go from there. So. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, this was great.